0: The following message was given at Hope Church of Knoxville. For more information about Hope Church, please visit our website at hopeknox.com As many of you know, I'm a big Charles Spurgeon fan. I've mentioned him quite a bit. He's mentioned quite a bit. He's uh, from the 19th century. Uh, my wife and kiddos actually got me a sermon manuscript by him for Father's Day last year. So I have a handwritten sermon by Charles Spurgeon, which is kind of cool. Um, but uh, I'm a huge fan of him. He used to uh, preach to a congregation of about 20,000 before microphones were around. They're uh, upwards close to 20,000. And. Um, Just the way, if you look at his life, it's just phenomenal. He started an orphanage, uh, had an old folks home as well. Um, Just the things that he did, it almost seemed like he wasn't human. Um, But uh, I want to start off with a quote from him. What settings are you in when you fall? Avoid them. What props do you have to support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with? Avoid them. There are two equally damning lies Satan wants you wants us to believe, but just one won't hurt. Now that you have ruined your life, you are beyond God's use and might as well be enjoying sin. Learn to say no. It will be more of use to you than being able to le- read in Latin. What Spurgeon's getting at, and I think what we're going to see from this passage is, How easy it is and how constantly Satan attacks us with the same old lies and we fall to them, we fall guilty to them so often. Uh, We fall into their traps and we think that we may be above them, that we often fall guilty to them. And as we come to this passage, it's going to sound very similar to a passage we've already read before. Just like last week, it it very much reflected back to earlier chapters of Genesis. This one, once again, is going to reflect back to Genesis 12. It almost sounds like we're reading the same story. And then by the time you come to it, you're like, Abraham, are you really doing this again? Is this really what you're going to fall guilty to? You just fell into this sin, and now you've repented of it, and you're the man of great faith. Are you really doing it once again? Genesis 12 begins this way. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards Negeb. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham brought or went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So notice where does, what happens in Genesis 12. Where does he go? He, he goes down into Egypt because he hears that there's a great famine in the land. Now, And he went down to Negeb. Now Genesis 20, this sounds very similar. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. Notice this once again. He's going down into Egypt. When we were back in Genesis 12, the reason Abraham went down there is because he heard there was a famine and he didn't trust God to protect him while he was in the land. God had commanded him and told him that he was going to have Canaan as his land. He hears a famine and he goes down and risks his wife's life just to have his own safety. And then if you remember also, what's he tell her to do? He tells her to lie and say that he's her sister, so that they'll spare his life. And then he almost risked her purity. Now we'll see what happens. These stories are starting to sound very, very similar. And I think what Moses is trying to show us to is, these two parallels teach us something in their difference. Why are they different? And why is it significant? Down to verse 2. And Abraham said to Sarah his wife, She is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Once again, the great hero of our faith falls to the same sin. A great pastor and scholar and writer, Sinclair Ferguson, said this in reference to this passage. This passage isn't here to point us to the fact that we will sin any more or any less as believers. This passage is here to remind us that we are all failures and that God is faithful in spite of our weakness. And we can trust God to lead us even when we are weak. Isn't that encouraging? You may think that this is silly for Abraham to fall into this sin. And we may think, how can he do this a second time? But don't we all do this? Sin and Satan attack us where they know we are weakest. Our sinful desire, it leads us to certain sins. We, always, we all have pet sins that we lead towards or lean towards. I've quoted this book before, but uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a, book, a fictional book called Screwtape Letters. And it's a fictional story between Uncle Screwtape, is his name, who's a demon. And he's trying to teach his nephew demon how to attack Christians. So he's training up this younger demon on what to do. And there's a a lot of... It's very interesting as you read this because you can kind of see how different struggles you have in your life and how Satan attacks those and how our sinful desires lead us to those sins. This is what Uncle Screwtape wrote to his, his letter, one of his letters to his son. This is what he said. If you manage to weaken his faith, don't let up. Remember, all he has to do is cry to the enemy. The demon is talking about God. All he has to do is cry to God for help. And all your hard work will be lost. But be subtle. One of my favorite things is to make them think that they're stronger than they were before. Before they cry out to the enemy, when the only way that they can be saved is by crying out, is not because of their strength, but is by crying out to their enemy. You guys see that? How often do we think that we look at these people's sins and we see how they've fallen, how they fall guilty to these and fall prey to these, and we think, you know, I would never do that. I'm so much better than that. We think that we're better than we really are. We think that we're stronger than we really are. We see their struggles and we look down at them rather than encourage them and help them and help them combat sin. We don't confront them in their sin, we mock them. And we think, I will never do that. I am far stronger than they are. I know my Bible more than they are. I don't know if you've kept up with the news, but all too often, even within this year, two prominent pastors, two famous pastors, have fallen into sin and lost their ministries. It's not the strong who persevere, it's not those who are the strongest or the wisest who persevere. It's those who lean most heavily upon Christ and who acknowledge their weakness. And they flee from their sin and they flee from sin because they realize that God is their only hope. He is the only one that can give them strength. He is the only one who will help them persevere. Perseverance doesn't take place. The perseverance of the saints doesn't take place because you are strong. Perseverance takes place because you're trusting and leaning in on Christ. It is those who persevere until the end. If you want to hear, well done my faithful servant, lean on Christ. Trust Jesus. If you want to make it to the end, don't think that you're better than they are. Pray for them. Lean on Christ, knowing that He is your only good. And as the prophet said, know that your righteousness is filthy rags. It is Christ who is your righteousness. He is the reason you stand before, the God, or stand before God being holy. It is not because of your good works. It is because of God. Verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man, Good phrase there. (laughs) Because of the woman whom you have taken. For she is a man's wife. You guys remember back? God has been promising all the way up to this passage that Abraham and Sarah are going to have a child. He's going to come through Sarah. It's going to come through Abraham. When Abraham tried to take the promise into his own hands, what happens? He goes and has an affair with Hagar. And she has a child. And God says, No! This promise is going to come through Sarah. This promise is going to come through Abraham. And now once again, her purity is at risk. And God's promise still stands strong. It will happen. Now, Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent man? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart, and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. This phrase innocence, innocent, innocent over and over again. It's the exact same phrase that Lot uses when he goes to the Lord. Lot before or God, before you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, if there are 20 people who are innocent in this city, will you spare it? If there are 10 people innocent in this city, will you judge an entire city that is innocent? He's calling upon the character of God. If you are a just God, would you destroy the city when there are innocent people in it? Over and over again, in Sodom and Gomorrah, we find out that there are none, and that lot is spared by the grace of God. Now this man named Abimelech is appealing once again to the, I mean to the, the justice of God. God, if you were a just God, will you destroy this whole city? I did this, in the, I did this in innocence. I did not know that she was married to someone else. What a great way to pray. Lord be just. We know that you are a just God. Show your justice. Destroy the wicked. Uphold the righteous. Defend the righteous. Do not let the wicked go unpunished. Verse 6. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And that... It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not tell you, or I did not let you touch her. This is a weighty verse. This has a lot of implications. You could chew on this one for a long time and still not have a resolve. If you guys remember back, though, to Genesis 12, what this passage is paralleling, what happens first? God slaughters two animals and He walks through them where Abraham should have walked through these carcasses. God Himself walks through these carcasses and back in that time period when you walk through these animals, you're basically saying, let it be done to me as it was done to these animals if I am unfaithful to the promise. So God is saying, let me be cursed. Let me be destroyed if I am unfaithful to my promise to you, Abraham. Now, once again, God has prevented Sarah from doing this deceitful thing, this terrible thing. God's promise is going to be sure. Even when Abraham and Sarah try to prevent it. Even when their sinful nature, even when they sin, God is still going to accomplish His will. Yes, see the significance of that? God prevented Abimelech from breaking the promise that he had. God stopped him from doing that. You want to hope that you can defeat your sin? Do you want to hope that you can flee from this and overcome whatever trial you're struggling with? Pray to the God who changes hearts, pray to the God who can keep you from these things. And know that he is strong and he is good and he will keep his promises. He can keep you. You can find your rest in him. Now let's see what God tells him. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. This is the first time the word prophet's used in scripture. It's pretty interesting, if you ask me, God has pre- or they have previously called him a priest. So Abraham is a prophet and priest whom the nations would bless through. I mean, that's, a, that's a sermon in itself. Down to verse 8. So Abimelech rose in the morning and called to his servants and told them, All these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called to Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought upon me in my kingdom this great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God in this place. And they would kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is, this is the kindness you must do me in every place to which we come, say to them, He is my brother. Once again, Abraham is willing to risk the purity of his wife to save him own, his own self. He has come to this man named Abimelech. What's Abimelech mean? Abby, which means my father, Melech. Melech, which means the king or king. His name literally means my father the king. Abraham is called to take the name of the true father, the true king to the nations and be a blessing to these nations. Yet he has remained unfaithful. He has brought cursings upon them rather than blessings. Yet one day would come a man who is the true king The true son. He would come and he would take the nations, the blessings of God. That's who we're looking forward to in this passage. This is what Abraham has fallen short on. Taking the blessings of God to all peoples. And also healed his wife and the female slaves too, that they all bore children. For the Lord had closed the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. If You guys remember back to Genesis 12? God promises He will bless those who bless Abraham and He will curse those who curse him. What's just happened? These people have been cursed because of God. Because of how they have treated Abraham. And Abraham prays on their behalf. He acts as an intermediary. He goes before the Father on their behalf and asks the Lord to change their heart. This passage ultimately looks forward to Christ. If you think about this, it's because of Abraham that these people are cursed or blessed All those who are found united to Him receive a blessing. All those who are against Him are receiving a curse. But what happens? He goes and prays on their behalf, and all those then are blessed in God. It is through the ultimate seed of Abraham that we're going to see that blessing, the blessing to the nations. It'll be through being united with Christ that we receive all blessings in heaven. Those who are found in Christ find the blessings of the Lord. It doesn't mean you're going to get prosperity. It means you get Jesus. That's why the poor person and the rich person alike can both find ultimate joy because they have the Lord. It's not a car. It's not a big house. It's Jesus, which is so much better than those things. These things will rot away If you pay attention at Christmas time, your kids are excited when they get brand new toys. We are excited when we get new toys. A day later, we're already looking forward to the next thing. These things will never bring you satisfaction, these things will never bring you comfort. If you are homeless and have nothing, when you wake up, your joy is not in your nothingness. The joy is found in the fact that all you have is in Christ. That is your comfort. Jesus brings joy. So no matter how bad the situation is, you have the Lord. We have a mutual friend, Jason and I, and and Tanya and I, and we brought this. Uh, I brought him up before, but he, is, uh, he has cancer, and then the latter part of his life, he is uh, um, not much older than, than Chris or Dirt, one of the two you pick. Um, he he is not not that old. He's got children who are my age, and he has uh, got diagnosed with stage four cancer, and he is probably in the last few months, maybe even year of his life, I would say. Uh, Maybe even days, there have been times where they thought he was going to pass away. But the joy has been, my joy with him has been, is watching his wife constantly posting how the Lord has been giving them strength, the Lord has been giving them joy, and these small things in life have been the reminders of the Lord's presence. It's not that he's got a lot of things, he's sitting in a hospital bed with nothing, but he has Jesus And that has been bringing him joy. That has been bringing his spouse who is going to be left without a father to all their children joy. It's not going to be money that helps you in times like that. It's not going to be toys. How do you get through these difficult trials in life? How do you lose a family member that is very close? It's because Jesus will satisfy the infinite gap in your heart. It's the only way. You can take all of the things in this world and it will not fill the infinite hole in your heart. Only the eternal Son of God can give you that peace. As we finish up this passage today, I think what we need to see from these two passages, Genesis 12, the same story takes place. So what's the difference between the two? He turns his wife over to Pharaoh... Pharaoh then gets cursed and he says, "Go. I want you as far away from me as possible. Stay away. I don't want the curses of God upon me." What does this pagan king Abimelech what does he do? He recognizes the fact that the Lord is with this man and he says, "Stay." That's what's different between these two stories. One wants nothing to do with the Lord. And the other one says, "I see God is at work in you. Stay with me. Stay. When you see at God at work, stay there. Work there. Pray that is the case with our church. Pray that we see the Lord working in our lives, in our families, in our ministries. Our passion should not be stay away." When we see God at work was long to be in the presence of the Lord because that is where you're going to find peace. That is where Abimelech and his people found the rest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for allowing us